Well, good morning, Emmaus Road. I hope you brought your Bibles here this morning because we're going to be camping out in Romans chapter 9. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can look there in the racks right there in front of you and the seat right there in front of you. Otherwise, the words will be up there on the screen in just a moment. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I got I to gotta just start laughing because there's some amazing, crazy, ridiculous, laughable stories in the Bible. Have you, have you read the Bible? Do you know what's in the Bible? I mean, there's a story about a giant sea parting in two and people just kind of walking through on dry land. There's a story of, of the sun not setting for an entire day. I can't imagine what that would be like. It's just hanging there, not moving whatsoever. There's a story about a giant fish swallowing a man, and that man lives to tell the story. There's a story about a man losing his uh, strength just by, by getting his hair cut. There's a story about people paying taxes, and so they go, to, they go fishing, and they catch a fish, and they pull some coins and some tokens out of this fish's mouth to pay the taxes. There's, there's a story about just 5,000 plus people getting fed by just a couple loaves and a couple fish. And the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It all sounds a bit ridiculous at times. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus says that all of these stories, they testify about him. That all of these seemingly absurd events, they tell about his gospel that he alone brings. And this morning's text actually reminds us of one of these laughable stories. You see, in the book of Genesis, we read about how God promised to give a guy by the name of Abraham and his wife Sarah a child when they were really old, way past the old age of childbearing. And, and so what did Abraham and Sarah do when they received this news? It, they laughed. Of course they did. It's crazy. It's absurd. It's laughable. Abraham literally fell on the ground, Scripture says, and he started laughing out loud with this deep belly laugh, as loud as you can imagine. Have you, ever, have you ever received news that just caused you to laugh out loud? I mean, maybe it was because you passed the test and you totally thought you bombed it. Or maybe it was, uh, it was the news that, that you're, not inspect, you're not expecting just one child, but you're actually expecting two. Uh, maybe, maybe it was you left the game early and, and your favorite team came back with the most amazing comeback ever in sports history because they were just down with, with, with two minutes to go or it was in the bottom of the ninth or whatever. You heard the news and you just laughed out loud. These, these guys get this amazing news and they laugh at it. They are laughing at the promises of God. They obviously thought it was so far out there, so laughable, so hard to believe. But here's the question. Did, did God get angry at their response? If you know the story, did he renege on his promise? No. What we read in the scriptures, in fact, that Abraham and Sarah would have a son, and through that lineage, the Son of God would actually enter the world, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus said some pretty laughable stuff, too. Now, you got to remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who are living in Rome, and so it should be no surprise that in chapter 9, he reaches back once again, talking about Abraham, and he reminds them that there are two lines in Abraham's family tree, two branches, if you will. And these two branches actually illustrate two ways that mankind relates to a holy God. And the answer, this should be no surprise to you because the Apostle Paul has been talking about this since Romans chapter 1. First, the first way that we relate to God is, is through work, the way of striving and achieving, of doing and avoiding. And then there's also the way of grace, right? The way of faith, of believing, of receiving, and of trusting. 
And here's my promise to you. If you stick with me here this morning, we're going to find that Paul's theological argument here in Romans chapter 9 is not confusing whatsoever, but is rather very clarifying in its simplicity. And rather than confusing us, I pray that this passage would actually cause us to embrace the internal inheritance that is ours as sons and daughters of the living God. But before we read our text this morning, let's pray together. So would you pray with me and for me here in this place? Heavenly Father, would you add your public blessing to the public reading of your word? We need you to come and do what you alone can do by your Spirit's power. And we will give you the thanks and praise and glory that you alone are worthy of. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Reading in Jesus' name. Paul writes this. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ, for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to the sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though as God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because there is descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Now again, what I want to do this morning is to revisit this story that Paul introduces for us here in Romans chapter 9. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament, because in Genesis chapter 12, we see that when Abraham was 75 years old, God called him to leave his family and to leave his country, basically everything that he had. And God promised that if he left, he would give him a new family, he would give him tons of land and a nation, a nation that would eventually bless the entire world through his family lineage. We read in Genesis 13, verse 16, God promising the following. This is, this is crazy. Abraham, I will actually make your offspring as numerous as the amount of dust particles on the face of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but, but all you have to do is go into my car and see how dirty and dusty it is. I mean, just look up there on the dash and inside the little cup holders and, and that little space that's in between the two seats and, and the center console. I mean, my interior in my car is, is black, so you can see it all over the place. And that's just one car of all the cars in the entire world. And then you've got to think about our houses and how dirty they are at times, and, and the coffee tables, and the tops of the refrigerators, and the baseboards. And that's just one house of all the houses. And then you've got to think about all the abandoned buildings, and on and on and on we could go. You get the picture, right? Abraham, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as all the dust particles on the earth. But think with me on this. How many kids did Abraham have when the promise was made? None. And you got to know, it wasn't because they were trying. They were trying all right, but they probably had been infertile for a number of years up until this point, unbeknownst to them. And then in Genesis 15, we read that Abraham was bumming out because the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. 
And so he felt that the only one that was in line for everything that he had was his servant by the name of Eleazar. But God reminds him, he says, no, 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 Abraham, you are going to have a son. It's going to come through you. Be patient. You're going to have a son. And this is amazing because we just read in Genesis 13 when God equates the number of children he's going to have to the number of dust particles on the earth. And he does this in Genesis 15, but now with the stars in the sky. Now, one of the perks of moving from New York, where there's just a ton of ambient life, out here to Iowa is to actually see all of the beautiful stars that are up there in the sky. I don't know if you've taken a look lately, but it's amazing. There are tons out there. And so 10 years go by, and that's 120 months from the time of the promise of Sarah going, not this month. Abe, I know God promised, but I'm still not pregnant. And why do you get mad when your husband's promised to take out the trash and it's still there a couple hours later, right? And kids, you get mad when your parents promise to take you shopping for the thing that you've been saving up for, but a week goes by and still they haven't taken you. Now imagine waiting 10 years for that. And that trash has got some stank on it now, right? Of course it does. And kids, you probably don't want that thing that you once wanted. You're probably like, PS4, man, we're on PS9. Thanks a lot, parents, for taking your time on that one. And they sort of 120 months, 10 years go by, and still childless. Think about that. For sure they thought that God's word had failed, that Romans 9.6 is not true whatsoever. That he was just like everyone else who promises but doesn't follow through perfectly all the time. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, he promised to love me for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. But where is he now? My boss promised me the raise that I, that I desperately needed if I worked my tail off. But it's not in my bank account. It's still in hers. Where is it? Judges and cops and everybody else that work some field of the law say that, that there's equal justice under the law. But man, I can't tell you how many times that I've been pulled over just by the way I look. My teacher and my coach, they promised to give me some, some extra help and attention to help me improve in some of the areas that I need improvement on, but they've always got an excuse. My mom told me that even though she doesn't love my dad anymore, that her love towards me would not change. Get the point? Mesro, there's no doubt in my mind that they thought that God had abandoned them just like everyone else, that his word had failed. So Sarah comes up with this really dumb idea, and she tells Abraham, hey, why don't you go sleep with my servant Hagar so that you can have a child with her? And he thinks that this is a brilliant idea. He doesn't think it's a dumb idea. He thinks it's a brilliant idea. And so that's what he does, and she conceives, and Abraham has a son named Ishmael. Now, if you know the story, Abraham begins to believe that this is the promised child of his, that this is the son of the promise. But another 13 years go by, gang, and God starts talking with Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to know that Ishmael is not the heir that I was talking about. Congrats, you got the son that you've always wanted, but my worldwide blessing is not going to come through him. That's what Paul writes about in Romans 9, 6 through 7. You think that's the only child you're going to have, Abraham? You're wrong. Your wife, Sarah, you know, the one who's barren, the one whose womb is completely dead, she is actually going to see, conceive. She's going to have a son. And that's what verse 9 here in Romans 9 is referring to. 
And back in Genesis 21, 1 through 2, this is what we read, the culmination of the story. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Gang, Abraham's 100 years old, and Sarah is how old? She's 90 years old, and she gives birth to a son named Isaac. I mean, this is crazy. It's okay. You, you can laugh, too. It's pretty hysterical, if you ask me. Can you imagine this scene going on? And the reason the Apostle Paul is writing this here in Romans 9 is because he wants us to understand that the whole basis of us being able to relate to this holy God is based on the contrast between the promises of God and the works of the flesh. Now, you got to know, according to the Bible, this phrase, the flesh, it doesn't mean physically conceived, because both Ishmael and Isaac were physically conceived by their mothers. That's not what it means. Flesh in this context means human self-effort. The word flesh, it's a word used to describe man's best effort to bring about God's promises. So go, let's go back to the story. Abraham and Sarah, they give a promise. They get a promise from God, but they have no kids to show for it for a really, really long time. And adding insult to injury, do you know what the name Abraham literally means? It literally means exalted father or, or father of a great multitude. And so every time Abraham is hearing his name called out, it's, hey, exalted father. Who's got no kids? Hey, father of a great multitude. Who's got nothing to show for it? That's what it means. And he's hearing this over and over again. And after 10 years, rather than believing that God would fulfill his promise, what did they do? They decided that they would help bring about God's promises by their own work by their own effort, by the flesh. Do you see that? In other words, Ishmael was a work that Abraham and Sarah achieved with the help of Hagar, but Isaac, on the other hand, was a gift from a gracious God that Abraham and Sarah received by the power of a promise-fulfilling God. And there it is. Listen to what Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Gang, listen up. It wasn't her doing that enabled her to conceive Isaac in a womb that had been dead for many, many years. Possibly since birth. Who knows? The Apostle Paul's fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, they're, they're over here, and, and, and they're, they're saying, and, and, and they're, 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 just, they're just, just teaching completely opposite of what Paul's teaching here, and they're saying that, that you have to do this and you have to avoid that in order to be in a right-standing relationship with the Lord. And, and Paul is in anguish here because he understands that they're not believing the true gospel message. And he's saying, no, that's, that's the way of Hagar. That's the way of the flesh, of work, of striving and doing, of exhaustion and pride and sin and death and hopelessness like we talked about last week in Romans 8, verse 2. He says, no, a right standing before a holy God, a relationship with him is received in the exact same way that enabled Sarah to conceive by faith in God's promises and God's work, not by your own best effort, because just like her womb was dead, you are dead spiritually too. The apostle Paul saying to his original readers, yes, Abraham is Israel's forefather, but remember, he had two sons, and only those in the branch of Sarah and of Isaac and of the Spirit are the true children of the promise.
Maestro, what do you believe today? What do you believe? You know, many times I've shared the good news of the gospel that the God who created all things actually came down and wrapped himself in human flesh and became one of us to save us from death and hell and sin, to save us from ourselves. Many times I've shared the gospel, uh, the free forgiveness of Jesus that comes through his substitutionary life, death, and resurrection for us. Many times I've shared the liberating message that God's grace is greater than all of our sin, all because of this one God-sized promise to bring about the Messiah from an old barren couple thousands of years ago. Really to bring about strength out of weakness. To bring about hope out of hopelessness. To make the impossible possible. And to bring life where there's only death. And more times than not, when I, when I share this message, the response I get is a grin, sometimes a chuckle, sometimes a really deep, deep belly laugh. And why not? It's laughable, is it not? But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. You see, as Christians, we have a hope that seems absurd, laughable even. It's what the Apostle Paul called hoping against hope in Romans 4.18. But he also says later on in chapter 5, verse 5, that this hope will never ever put us to shame. Amen? In other words, as foolish as this gospel message may seem, God will always deliver on his promises because God's word never, ever fails. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I read about this gospel message and I read about the redemptive story throughout the Bible and a smile starts to spread across my face and I hope it does yours when you read the Bible too. And it's okay if it does. Because God's foolish and amazing grace is what put it there. And may us wrote, this is the crazy message that God has called us to go out and to share to this world that is so desperate and dying. This crazy message of the laughable love of God. So let's go share it. As Robert Cabin said, why would I stop preaching this gospel? It's hilarious. Gracious Heavenly Father, enable us by your grace this week to share this amazing message to those that we come in contact with. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of salvation unto all those who believe. Lord, enable us to go. Walk with us each and every step of the way. Give us the words and the heart, the mind, our Savior, to be Jesus to the people that we meet this week. And we will give you praise and glory and honor for the stories that are going to be written because of the great things that you and you alone do. We pray this in your name and all God's people say.